This episode of the Oral History Podcast is sponsored by the Booklist Reader, a blog brought to you by the sun-starved shut-ins at Booklist Publications. If your social life is out of control and all you want to do is retreat to your special quiet place with something good to read, they'll give you all the help you need with book lists, author Q&As, book award news, and more. They even offer writing advice, like our recent publishing USA, How to Write About Sex in Your YA Novel. You'll find it all at booklistreader.com, where you can sign up by email to receive daily updates, or just follow them on Twitter, at booklistreader. <laughs> then I rode my bike home. Okay, hey, okay. Carrie, what are you reading right now? I just finished reading a nonfiction book called Lost Paradise, colon, From Mutiny on the Bounty to a Modern-Day Legacy of Sexual Mayhem, The Dark Secrets of Pitcairn Island, revealed by a woman named Kathy Marks. And basically that book's about um, generational second or sexual abuse, which takes place on the island that the mutineers from the bounty fled to after they took over the, the ship from captain Bly. So it was kind of a weird book. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Um, and now because you made me read it, Krista, I am reading the house of Bernarda Alba by Federico Garcia Lorca, um, which is putting me to sleep, but I'm it trying. Is, it's so good. There's so <sighs> many dynamics there between all the, matriarchy it's so I good just, i hate reading plays <laughs> anyway what are you reading um i just finished reading uh the boy most likely to by huntley fitzpatrick i'm trying to like get back into some ya reading because it's been a while since i've read that um read ya uh and now i am reading alexander hamilton by ron chernow which is the source material for the musical um, and why I started reading it. It's so, I'm so intrigued. Do you know about the Reynolds pamphlet? Do you know anything about Alexander Hamilton? No, I know zero. Okay, well, he's fascinating. His life is fascinating, but he did this thing where he had this affair that ended up with this woman named Mariah Reynolds, and it ended up her husband, and she sort of schemed to blackmail Alexander Hamilton. And at, like, one point, that that got involved in his political career. And so he decided to write this whole pamphlet disclosing the whole affair in like really vivid detail, all the letters that the woman had sent him, all this stuff. And I became so fascinated by this, this, the idea that he did this because I was so interested in what his wife thought of this and how just what kind of, what would drive someone to like put out there politically like this sort of lay their hat out and say, I did this horrible thing and here's all the juicy details of it. I was super interested in it. And so I decided to read the, the, um, the source material, the, um, the Alexander Hamilton book biography, um, which is really a lot more interesting than I expected it to be. Um, like I thought that, you know, the musical was just giving the highlights, but the whole book is super interesting. So, <laughs> well, 
go nonfiction. I know, I know. And also too, like I just am always interested in people's motivations. And that's why that book is really well done is it starts making you think about like what would motivate you. Like, could you imagine being a dude and just putting this out there, like all about your affair and all the sort of sordid details of it, like what that would even mean? It's just super interesting. That is interesting. I know. Yeah. Like it, it takes like a certain amount of hubris, I think, to be able to do that. Because sure. he deeply loved his wife, too. So super complicated. Lots of good stuff there. Highly recommend. Yeah. Okay, okay. Um, we have an announcement today, which is basically to reiterate that our flash fiction event, which is known as Right Ladyhead Right, has been going on all month of February. And we've got so many great submissions. Um, we're so happy that the public is so enthusiastic about Ladyhead. Um you can read all the stories on our Tumblr site, where we'll keep them all year long, www.writeladyheadwrite.tumblr.com. Uh, we'll put all those links in the show notes on our site and the book list reader site. Um, and we'll be keeping it open all year, as I said, So, but I'm not taking submissions after the 29th. So uh, let me know if you've got a burning need or a story you really want to put up there, uh, send me an email at feedback at the oral and we can talk about it. Yeah, I feel a little bad. I feel a little remiss in not promoting that. But since I'm not on Twitter for Lent, uh, you're you're carrying the water of all ladyhead over there by yourself. <laughs> Fucking <Sorry>. Lent, God. <laughs> Um, literally God. Yeah. Serious. Yeah. (laughs) Whatever. I'm getting a lot of work done. It's good. Okay. Okay. Um, Okay. okay. So today's topic is sex without romance. Um, and I'm going to introduce the topic today with a poem by Sharon Olds, um, that Carrie found, but I love this poem. It was, it's super great. Um, and I guess apologies for not being an awesome spoken word poetry reader, but just going to have to deal with it because it's such a good poem. It's called Sex Without Love. How do they do it, the ones who make love without love? Beautiful as dancers, gliding over each other like ice skaters over the ice, fingers hooked inside each other's bodies, faces red as steak, wine, wet as the children at birth whose mothers are going to give them away. How do they come to the come to the come to the God? come to the still waters and not love the one who came there with them. Light rising slowly as steam off their joined skin. These are the true religious, the purists, the pros, the ones who will not accept a false messiah. Love the priest instead of the God. They do not mistake the lover for their own pleasure. They are like great runners. They know they are alone with the road surface, the cold, the wind, the fit of their shoes, their overall cardiovascular health, just factors like the partner in the bed and not the truth, which is the single body alone in the universe against its own time. Oh my God, that's such a good poem. It's so such juicy. A good poem. I, if you haven't read Sharon Olds, I don't know. Go and do that. I mean, I feel like everybody's undergrad English degree. If you have any interest in poetry, you probably stumbled across Sharon Olds. But um, anyway, that book or that poem and all of her books, I really are very frank, confessional, candid, upfront about sex, about abuse, about uh, addiction. Really good, good book. Um, 
good poet. Um, well, today we're going to talk about that, about sex without romance or love, if you will, because we've had a, we're in a month where there's just, you know, kind of a surfeit of love anyway. So we thought we'd talk about that, right? <laughs> yeah, because because we're peppy like that. We're going to take your romance month and we're going to turn it on its head and just talk about sex. Um, so yeah, do you, do you care? You want to, do you want to start with your story? Right. Well, so once I'm trying to think here, I, I had, um, I guess I would call it because you were right there, uh, kind of sex without romance situation. It was my right, uh, around the time we were graduating from high school and there was, everybody was having those stupid open house parties in their garage or in their yard or whatever. And like, you had to go to like five of them per weekend being, this is, you know, the white people suburbs that I lived in. And, uh, I remember one, um, one of my uh, neighbors was a boy who lived across the street. And so he had a party and some of these parties would end up where the kids would drink too, because a lot of times the parents give a damn was sort of busted on their kids' yeah. graduation. Come, come graduation, they're like, I wipe my hands of you. I know. Oh, right. Uh, yes, I don't really. my suburb too. Yes. I'm, yeah. Okay. So don't really care and whatever. And so all of us were over at this neighbor's house and um, my friends and whatever, and we were all drinking. And um, one of the, another kid who lived a few blocks away, he had ridden his bike over. Um, he'd come to my open house and, and my dad had let him drink there too. And, you know, whatever. And I liked him, but I didn't want to get with him. Really? I didn't think, but when you get drunk enough, you just are like, kind of, what the hell? And so that happened, like, I don't know, a couple of weekends in a row, I guess, because we kept getting together. There was leftover food, there was leftover beer, and the parents, again, had not given a damn. So, um, and we just kind of hooked up, and I just felt sort of like, you know, I could take it or leave it. And I, it just felt kind of like mechanical, like, okay, I'm going to do this because I was unrelentingly curious at that age. So that happened. Um, was it like more like you were scratching an itch? Cause you like, there was no hope for it. I mean, in some ways, cause you're about to go to college and who knows what he was doing, but yeah. was there also a part where you're like, okay, well there's, I, I don't really have any skin in this game because you know, this isn't going to go anywhere. You know, it was just sort of like how people go out to you know, to Denny's and have breakfast at 3 a.m. when they're drunk. They don't really need to eat anything or be at Denny's, but you just want to have one more thing that you do because yeah. you don't really want to go to bed. And that was kind of what it was like. I and felt like my whole senior summer, like my summer after my senior year, was a lot like that with everyone because everyone had sort of already broken up except for the couples who were sure they were going to stay together and then broke up in October of their freshman <laughs> year of college. But right. you know what I'm saying? Like, But everyone else was sort of like they weren't connecting. They didn't want to start anything new. They were just like, but I got – you know, I got pipes that need to be unclogged here. So, well, yeah. I, I didn't really like in terms of like, did I get off? No. And we didn't actually have sex. I think we just like, you know, it was sort of like uh, all sorts of other junk. But I mean, I think t there's that point. But then my sister had this story where she said when they were like ninth graders, she had a friend who had a steady boyfriend and the boyfriend had two friends that he hung out with. So they would 
bring this group of girls, my sister, her friend with the boyfriend, another girl, and they would all get together. And every time they got together, they would all hook up or make out, just making out with the other person. And it was sort of mechanical, again, because nothing ever came of it when they went back to school. They, the guy wasn't actually very nice to my sister. He, he was teased her and was a dick, but he always was happy to, you know, suck face with her or whatever. Oh, so it was the same guy? It wasn't yeah, it was like the they same... would like have a swap out situation. No, it was the same guy. And I think it that went with the other girl too. And then the girl with the boyfriend, of course, that was a match set, but like it was the same thing. And it just kept happening until I think my sister might've gotten a boyfriend who was like her official boyfriend. But like, that was another, that was like early in high school. And it was just this thing that you were doing because I don't know, it was like unspoken and that it just always happened. And so that's that kind of stuff's really interesting to me, I think. And um, I think fairly common. I mean, I think about it. I have like multiple stories like this. I mean, at least, it, you know, I don't know if you know anything about young life, but it's like, a, yeah. it's, right. I mean, in our town, young life was like a uh it was sort of like a, a, it was almost like the bachelor kind of situation where you just a flesh pot. Yes. It was a flesh pot where everyone just <laughs> shuffled around who were, they were going to make out with after their young life meeting. So, you know, <laughs> like some hippie would be singing, you know, Psalm 40 by you two. And then like, but the whole time you're just scoping out who's in the room with you on some basement floor, you know, just seeing like who's, <laughs> I know it's so sleazy, my gosh. But, um, I mean, that's sort of what young life always was and there was always people like switching around now sometimes I felt like it was sort of motivated towards um maybe being like a couple but more often than not no like no one ended up as a couple I don't I don't feel like young life was the way to meet your future partner you know <laughs> if anything like it was you know sort of the exact opposite I gosh the people in young life are going to be chagrined at my assessment of this but it really was like that in my town um and then the, the other thing is so that was like my freshman year or sophomore year of high school. And then um, then I also got involved with the theater group when in my junior and senior year. And um, I like theater groups, I, I have now found out, are sort of notoriously really kinky. Did you know this, Carrie? I've never been a theater oh, well, person. T- t- your loss there, my friend. Your <laughs> loss. Because they're really, they sort of are really kinky. And I don't know if it's because they're like performative or they're like just needing to burn off steam. And they, they're not like really big drinkers or partiers because they've kind of got to be on a lot. And so like this is another outlet. Um, but we had this friend who had uh, upstairs in his attic this place that we called The Pit which was like basically a giant bed. It, I think it was like four beds, singles beds all pushed together and like hoisted up into this sort of cocoon that had all these pillows and blankets. And any anyone who sort of, when you went up to the pit, you went up there knowing that everyone was going to be hooking up eventually. So you like entered it like almost like you would enter a naked hot tub kind of situation where you, where you went in going like you know I'm gonna be fucking around with someone here eventually because what would happen is they had this like sweet like tv situation set up so you'd be you know under the guise of watching movies this is a this was like pre-netflix and chill where netflix and chill was happening but it wasn't netflix um 
and we'd all be in the pit. And most of the time it was like three couples, sometimes four, sometimes two. It, it, it would brand them, it, it, but always an even number. Right. And so, it, and it would, the whole time you'd be sitting there watching this movie, just waiting to see how it would all play out in terms of like who'd be hooking up. And then at what point, like who would touch your leg first or touch your thigh and like how it would all play out. And I know it seems like sort of a bacchanalia and maybe it was, but at the time I didn't think it was that big of a deal. Like, oh, we're just going up to the pit again. And I had no idea who I would end up hooking up with. Like I knew maybe who I liked, but I wasn't like completely averse to the idea of being like, oh, well, if this other guy grabs my leg, though, that's fine. You know, like it was really easy and it felt like everyone was sort of constantly rotating in that way. And I guess I would say that this is... I wonder if, you know, like there's this sort of thing where you maybe you grow into feeling like, oh, I need to do this privately. But I remember that same kind of thing, like there would be people making out at a party and it wasn't like, you know, in the middle of the floor or anything, but it was the sort of thing where people just, it's like you didn't know that you, like Adam and Eve didn't know that they should be ashamed of what right. they were doing kind of thing. Yeah. I don't know. Or maybe they were like too hammered to care that like, you know, right. some guy's hands are on your tits while you're like in front of a million people. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I'm super curious about it too, but what is interesting about this whole thing is sort of the discussion about, you know, what would motivate someone, you know, a young person, a teenager, whatever, to do something like, you know, go up to the pit knowing what that was, or, you know, like with your sister, like how come she kept going back? She wasn't really interested in romance. I didn't go up to the pit, like maybe the very first time I went up there thinking like, Ooh, I kind of like this guy. And wouldn't that be great? But he was also one of those guys who like would be at any kind of public event, giving some girl a back rub, like a different girl all the time. He was a back rubber, you know? And so you always knew, like, there was just going to be someone different in his bed a lot. Like, this was going to be sort of a a thing. And so, but I guess I'm super curious about the existence of this in our lives, and, and frankly, in probably a lot of young people's lives, that there is this sort of notion of hooking up or, um, you know, whatever, whatever your sister was doing, whatever I was doing in the pit without thinking, oh, the end game here is to, you know, be with someone, to date something, to date someone like why, versus why? monogamy versus like sort of a general hookup when, when it seems like a lot of teenagers are driven to sort of this ideal of wanting a, a single partner. I mean, I, right. I think, is that right? Would you agree with that? And, and wanting the total package, like attraction, compatibility, love, you know, a meet cute situation, all of that kind of, uh, all the accoutrement of that stuff, um, surrounding the physical stuff. Cause that's sort of like, oh, if you have all that, then, then you have permission to, you know, go be physical. <laughs> yeah. Um, otherwise you're just being a dirty animal. What, but I think that, that, the conditioning from our culture on that score is much more powerful on the side of girls that girls are taught that you know again the whole i if you want to score with me you have to really work hard and so you're going to have to jump all of these different hoops in order to uh, justify the fact that i want physical contact um or that i would let that happen to me so i think girls are more 
susceptible to thinking that that they can't have one without the other. And I think boys are, you know, not good at the emotional side that romance sort of engenders. So they seem a little bit more, I'm going to do everything physical. I think that's the cultural message, at least, or that's the teachings that, that we give young people. But I think that there are girls that are just like, eh, what the hell? I mean, everyone has it in them to want to go have breakfast at Denny's in the middle of the night when they're fucked up. And um, I don't think that, you know, especially when you bring in intoxication, literal intoxication, there's not uh, a lot of our bets are off. But I think for girls, it is weird. And I think because young adult literature is very girl heavy in a lot of ways, like the point of view and the kind of narrative that is acceptable and the uh, preponderance of romance a plots or B plots, we're going to not see in the books as much of this sort of irrational sex. Yeah. Well, I'm curious about the idea of sort of intoxication, giving you permission to, you know, go and do this. And, and this is super fascinating to me because I think it, it comes down to, in some ways, sort of a lack of sex ed in girl on girls parts, right? Is that they've have not been given enough sex ed to start really thinking about what they want and, and what would be interesting and what they're curious about. And so they sort of get hammered as a, as a way to justify whatever these urges to go to Denny's at three o'clock in the morning is, you know, so we're we're metaphorically saying, um, (laughs) but you know what I'm saying? That they, that becomes an okay thing if, if they're hammered, whereas, and I think that maybe is becoming less so, um, as, in culture today with teenagers today. And the reason that I speculate that it's coming, becoming less so, even though I do agree that they've been in culture to sort of have this, you know, they have to be chased mentality and, you know, they can't necessarily be physical all the time, or they're going to, you know, have to deal with this Madonna whore complex and all of those things. I think that we're starting to see a, a small turn in that. Um, and the only reason that I say this is because, um, I have a friend who has a daughter who's 15 and, and, uh, you know, she caught her daughter making out on the side of their house, uh, with, you know, some guy. And, and so afterwards she was like, Oh, is that your boyfriend? And her daughter was like, "Mm, I don't know. (laughs) You know? And I just, I like that's so startling to me because it, and it was very clear that it was her choice about whether that was going to be her boyfriend or not. And I think that that's super interesting because I think at the time, if my parents had asked me that, if I had said, I don't know, it would have been because he had not claimed me or assigned me that status. It wouldn't be in any way because of what I thought about it. And I think we're starting to turn the corner where maybe girls can be curious and not feel like they're being publicly shamed for that, or they can be maybe having sort of this sex without romance or being physical without romance and not feel like, oh, they have to carry that sort of slutty baggage with them or whatever. What do you think? (laughs) Well, yeah. And I think also that, I mean, the, the alcohol or drugs give you the excuse to throw off the, the lesson. Right. But I also think that 
you see this in books and in movies and also in real life that girls will do things like at camp or when they're on vacation or they're, um, you know, studying abroad. I feel like study abroad for women in college is um, generally just a total, you know, bacchanal of hookups and crap because none of this counts you know like you just right. think no one can keep track of it none of it counts no yeah. i'm never gonna see this person again they're yeah. leaving the tomorrow judges are from a different country they're over there right like, right and i so signs. i think no there's idea. there there's been like little escape hatches where you see that happening um i remember that kind of thing like at, at summer camp especially you know, you knew that that guy who lived in War Road was never going to be your boyfriend. <laughs> but what the fuck? You were there for two weeks. You might as well have fun, you know. And that I think um, that kind of experience is really interesting. But I think that's really the the main lane we see this behavior in because otherwise you have to bear a lot of consequences, whether they are social or, you know physical or whatever, um, because it's hard to keep things secret. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I'm sort of curious about this too, and this is not something that I really know about as much, but how this, uh, plays out in like the LGBTQ community. Like if there is, um, if they feel like, you know, the, the people on the sidelines are watching much more. And so everything has to be really, you know, careful and, you know, drunken hookups have to be sort of controlled. And, and I say this because, you know, I, I have this sort of strange fascination with Grinder, as you know, even though I'm not on Grinder, <laughs> but I just am, you know, intrigued with it in my own sort of Krista way. Um, in the way that I want to study a subculture. And the fact that sort of Grindr, this app, exists for the very express purpose of hookup and no romance and sort of takes all of the questions out of that equation and instead says, this is what it is, this is what the plan is, this is what you know is going to happen. And, it, you know, like how different is that than... Um, I just think like, is that, does that something like that exist? Because that community has to be, you know, ultra careful about consequence and what people are saying. And so they've sort of built in their own fail safe. It's like Grindr is sort of their own summer camp, you know, I, I don't hmm. know. I, you know, I, I can't speak as being a non-queer lady as being the Kinsey one that, <laughs> We always joke that I am. Um, but I think that what I've read, and this, I think Dan Savage has said this a lot, that queer people have just had to be way more progressive and upfront about all of their sexual behavior because they've had to navigate so many obstacles and actual physical dangers that they've learned to be more open and communicative about, okay, this is what I need right now, so let's flush the pipes. I've got this quick grinder situation to take care of and then I'll be done. And it's more matter of fact, because it's been part of uh, queer sexual life, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I would, you know, I, I don't actually know, but I would throw that out there as an, an example of, yeah, we can make sex not completely laden with all of this uh, romantical baggage and make it like going to play a game of racquetball at the club. 
yeah. <laughs> over your lunch hour. Like it doesn't have to be like, okay, then you have to do this ceremony and then we, our family will give your family two goats and here's a diamond that's, you know, well, whatever. Well, what's interesting about that, about Grinder, and, you know, we should also talk about Tinder, which is, I think is sort of, you know, belatedly become the straight version of Grinder, from what I understand. Um, but the interesting thing about Grinder is you could it, it really sort of is a you know a, a pick your own buffet if you want to because you literally say what you like what you're into what you're looking for so you know I mean there's a part of me that's like oh how refreshing that would be just to be able to like serve up your app and be like I'm looking I'm looking for someone who wants to go down on me for like a half an hour <laughs> you know I don't know I mean I'm just sort of fascinated by that and intrigued by it that you could say like oh you know if, if anyone's interested in ass play like I you know I've got an hour here is anyone in the neighborhood well, I mean the, the, yeah. the way that that works and of course you know I have this long-term feeling about uh dick being abundant enough low value but at the same time like something like that feels very much served up and very you know, it, it exists in our culture. And so I'm very curious about the fact that we don't necessarily see that in, in the, in the main channels and in, in, in the mainstream at all. I mean, there's even like a TV show called Grinder that I like keep giggling about. Cause I'm like, did, did no one over in Fox think about this? Like, you know, like, <laughs> uh, John Stamos, don't you know what that is? Like, I, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm curious about how this, kind of stuff, which I think is very prominent, um, in, in a lot of ways is not necessarily breaking through or we are not having conversations about it. And, and let, you know, just to bring it back to teenagers, like we're not having those conversations with teenagers either. We're not necessarily having this sort of like, you know, when you hook up with someone like, you know, what do you want? And also, you can hook up with someone without it being, you know, without you having aspirations of romance or well, maybe, maybe the teenage version of that is not, or the, you know, the kind of escape hatch is, which com turns out to be public is maybe uh, social media or texts or sex or Snapchat or whatever the fuck. Um, because it's like, it's like this moment that you can be daring and confident and then you might pay some consequences later if someone screenshots your you know your boob shot or whatever the hell but like I wonder if tinder and grinder are for people that have more more confidence even if it might be anonymous they have more confidence about the whole situation I think the thing about teenagers is that they already have a pretty clear and accessible dating pool in a lot of ways even if they're like I don't want any of these people they still know they've been around these people for a really long time they know who they are and what they're about um and so they they have in a way that adults don't have that because adults get more fragmented as they join the world of work and move around and whatever and so I wonder if you know that kind of thing is something you only aspire to after years of kind of settling into yourself and what you need and want. I mean, yeah, that makes sense. And, and also too, that, that I think you and I had been talking about this earlier, the idea that uh, something like that could exist in the adult world because of your backlog of experience that you could come in and, and sort of that courage to, 
you know, send someone a message on Grindr or Tinder or whatever it is comes because you sort of know what you're doing a little bit. Whereas as a teenager, some of what gets mired in hookups, and maybe this is why, you know, alcohol or summer camp or whatever becomes an escape hatch is because you're kind of an amateur and, and you're like, all right, it's, it's novice hour here in Pootie Tang, (laughs) like, you know, (laughs) so, so like there's a side where you're like, okay, like, do I really want to do this with someone who I'm going to see like, you know, for the next three years of my life, you know, whereas, you know, but if I can say, yeah, I did it, but, and I had no idea what I was doing, but I was totally hammered. That gives you a, an out in a, in a different kinds of way. Well, and to be honest, the, the guy that I kept hooking up with, uh, around the time of all the constant graduation parties like I felt like he wouldn't say anything about it because it was just sort of dumb and you know whatever but he did he like told somebody and this guy came up to me and asked me about it and I was just like really like I have to sit here and talk about what I did with this dope uh you know in the middle of the night last Saturday (laughs) maybe he liked you I don't know but he like I mean the guy he the guy I hooked up with like shared vivid graphic information about what we had done. And I was like, Oh, you're that guy. Gross. I was really <laughs> mad. Cause I was like, this is like a breach of privacy. You know what I mean? So the point of it was that there are consequences like that. And even in this sort of the ragged end of your senior year, you've got like a week left and there's no homework and everyone's just sitting there like phoning it in. Like that still happened. And I was just like, you know. Yeah, it, that's weird. Uh, yeah, that that is weird. Because I do feel like there was something sort of a, a code of the road when it came to the pit. <laughs> You know, like that no one talked about who was hooking up in the pit. So that's weird that that's which makes me wonder if this guy had different, you know, alternative intentions. I don't fucking know. And I didn't I didn't even tell my friends. I think they found out like peripherally because it was just this dumb thing, you know, and I didn't I would tell my friends if I liked the guy and thought that, you know, something should happen with it. And so I, I because I didn't. I just was like, mm, you know, yeah. so, um, which is yeah, the- embarrassment dudes, just our three dudes who listen to this. It's not embarrassment about who we're hooking up with. It's more just, you know, sort of not information. It's when they're non-starters, it's not really worth talking about. Right. I feel like the only time my girlfriends and I would talk about it is if we had sort of leveled up to something that we had never done before. And then it was worth talking about a hookup. You know, but otherwise, no, I mean, because it's a non-starter, so. Right, and the other part was that, I mean, I I just felt like it was, it wasn't like a cool thing. Like, it happened in his basement while his family was upstairs asleep, and then I rode my bike home, you know, like. Well, all hookups in high school are like that, though, Carrie. I mean, what were you expecting? Like, you know. I don't know. A nooner at the Sybaris? No. It was just, I think the part of, of him, like, that's another thing. Like, I guess I believe in this, like I used to believe in the alpha male. I believe in like the honor of a a dude who does not disclose the grody details. And I was always like, 
oh, the guys who disclose the grody details are liars. But in this case, no, all that shit this other third party was relaying to me in the hallway. I was like, fuck, you know? So that whole part of it where you have honor and you don't tell, like, you can't count on that if there's no romantic contract, I guess. You know, I just. Well, uh, or anyway. I guess you, I would say it more has to, it has less to do with a romantic contract and more to do with uh, sort of a lack of romantic contract. I think that part of, because I'm, I'm working with the notion that this guy actually liked you, I think that part of sort of disclosing that is, was with an agenda, to sort of say like, yeah, maybe you should get with this guy or maybe whatever. Uh, I don't know. I mean, such that's, a bad I, strategy. I totally it's not endearing. I agree. I agree. Bad strategy. But at the same time, like, I feel like if you're, if neither of you are looking for something, it buys you nothing to tell anyone anything. You know what I'm right. saying? That's why I feel like when, when you're dealing with sex without romance, a lot of times that doesn't pour out into the rest of your world because you you have no, there's nothing that it buys you to tell anyone anything. Right. And, and this goes on, on for, for multiple things as a teenager, as an adult, as everything is that if it's not going to go anywhere, why would you tell anyone? And I feel like if both parties are, are of the understanding that it's not going to go anywhere, then you're also of the understanding that like, why would you mention this? Whereas I think him mentioning it makes it me feel like it was one of those scenarios where he had intentions that you were not on board with, which is slightly different. You know, oh, like, like, oh, I'm going to make you feel bad because you're making me feel bad. Yeah, maybe. I don't uh, know. Dudes are confusing. They're confusing. I don't know. I'm just this throwing is this just out. Terrible. It's so terrible. But, you know, yeah, like I just think about your sister scenario, right, where they were all hooking up. Like, was there was there conversation around that afterwards? No, they just did this thing. And then that was it. You know, I mean, I don't know. I, I, it's just is something that I think about a lot when it comes to just the the notion of hookups is that sometimes they're very public because, you know, you're at a party and you're up against a wall and everyone's seeing you. And sometimes or, you know, you've you've skirted off to some bedroom that everyone like seven people walk into. I mean, what is that with bedrooms at parties? Like, what do you <laughs> expect, dude? The people keep your coats in there. They're they're going to come in. Um, but, you know, but if, if it's like a hookup, like how we did it in Young Life, where you were just the last person dropped off. You know, like the guy who had the car is driving like, you know, nine people who were all smashed into his car home and you're the last one dropped off. Then it becomes a, you know, no one has that conversation. No one knows about it. You don't have the conversation. You've just done this and you've moved on, you know. Right. I think part of the thing is, I mean, I I think about that Sharon Olds poem and where she's talking about a lot of that stuff has to do with your own pleasure, you know, or for me, it wasn't necessarily my own pleasure. Like I was coming because as we know, that took like fucking forever, but um, it was more my own pleasure of feeling like I was doing this thing that I didn't know if I could do. I was curious about it. I was, you know, all the different things that came along with it. And plus for me, I also wanted to uh, make him come, even though I never was going to, um, I felt like that was very powerful for me. And I was super interested in making that happen. So it felt like a challenge almost. And so it is super powerful. And maybe that drives the curiosity because you, you know, I think that if you, 
I feel like it's all kind of an adventure. And if we beat the adventurous spirit out of girls because we scare them about things that are real dangers, for sure. But if we beat that out of them culturally and then their responses to just, you know, tiptoe around the hem of human life, I think there's something depressing about that. Like, I had a therapist who told me, you the reason you survived a lot of the crap in your growing up is because you decided to be bad. You just embraced being bad. And I feel like I wonder if girls embrace being bad as a as a as an a way out of uh whatever you know, the stu- other stuff is going the, on. The getting yeah. to to try and live and, you know, just be a human on the planet and have adventures and try stuff and see what things feel like, which I think, you know, men pop out of the womb and they're more apt to just feel like that's their, well, of course I'm going to do what I like. You know, Mm -hmm. I I think women are very much kind of curtailed at a very young age about following their instincts and, and yeah. I'm curious about this idea of being bad though. Cause do you also think, I mean, I think that, that for me, there got to a point where like, it, it was almost like, you know, I broke through the finish line. So fuck it. Everything was on the table. And it was almost like, this was the part where I think that I did really dangerous things, you know, unprotected sex and those kinds of things or hooking up with older guys, those things that I did felt like part of what motivated that was that I was already bad. So there wasn't, because there was sort of this black and white notion of what good and bad was, and there was like the limited options of what made you good were so such a tiny little window that once I was bad, it was like, well, fuck it. You know, I'm yeah. all in. I'm all, you know, it was right. almost like, you know, there was, there was just everything. And I wonder if we had more conversations where we didn't sort of litmus test this good and bad, but instead said, you know, encourage curiosity, encourage these things, but also encourage girls knowing what they really wanted and not feeling like because they had on sort of this slut label or whatever label they were going to put Don on their cape, that that meant that they were game for everything. I think that if we allowed sort of a, 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 a wider scale of what this could look like, and it wasn't necessarily just good or bad, but instead it was you just like this or you're interested in this or you're curious about this, then it's almost like the Band-Aid didn't necessarily have to be completely ripped off. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, and I think if you if you started with encouraging your daughter to be to inhabit her body as a body the thing she lives in not as an object that is meant to please or tow certain standards that might be the first step because i think that men can inhabit their bodies from day one and girls are very much given a lot of messaging about your body's not yours it's this other thing and it should do this or it should do that or it should not do this. And so I think that might be the key. I think that it starts there. Um, and we, and we send girls mm-hmm. right up into their brains very early. I mean, you even see that with little boys. You, you 
talk about early childhood education and the little boys that can ride their bikes before girls and the girls who can speak in full sentences and paragraphs before the boys can even say one word. And I think it starts super early and I don't know what the root of it is, but there's something about boys being in their bodies and using their bodies very easily that happens quite early, whereas girls start using their words, their intellect quite early. Yeah. And I so, wonder if it's it's also maybe a little bit grounded in the idea of breakability, like that you're sort of breakable as a girl and that you these are the purposes of your body. And so because of those purposes, then, you know, anything that sort of strays from that is, you know, for example, like pleasure is not really a purpose for the female body or has, is no longer one, you know? So those are, I mean, it's just interesting when you see it on every, every level. I, I met a woman who is working on what she calls a bionic breast. Um, and basically it's this idea that she, uh, she is a, surgeon and she does mastectomies, um, for women who have cancer. And one of the things that she has teamed up with is with the, with a robotics team so that they can figure out how to make breasts that still, um, have sexual stimulation so that you could sort of, instead of just doing reconstructive surgery and having like this fake boob that you don't feel anything with after post mastectomy, that instead that you have this sort of bionic boob that you can still be, you know, it's fascinating. It's a cool idea. And I was like, wow, it just takes this long for us to come up with that. Whereas like if this was about something else, there would be, you know, if, you know, with, if it was an arm, for example, they're already working on technology that has these prosthetic arms that have feeling to them. But, you know, boobs are sort of low on the chart of what we would want feeling for. Um, I'm getting well, into they're, the weeds. They're, so. they're for, their <laughs> boobs are for children. Yeah. They're not for you. And I mean, look at all the technologies surrounding the male penis and its function. I mean, there's definitely a, a value being placed on one thing over the other. Um, we yep. should probably get to the books. Yeah. Don't you think? Yes. Um, and, and, um, I, I should probably fully disclose that this whole, um, topic that we have taken on today was really wrapped around my deep, deep desire to talk about Steph Keen's delicate monsters. Um, and just really the first chapter of Steph, Steph Keen's delicate monsters. So, um, you will see that we have, uh, we don't have a lot of books that we're talking about today, but, uh, I for sure want to talk about that book first, um, because it was the reason that I wanted to do this topic. Um, that book, in my mind, is absolutely masterful. It's a very deep, intense look at a sociopath. Um, Sadie Sue is is the sociopath, and what's pretty fantastic about her is really she does not give a fuck. Uh, and it's written really incredibly smartly. I mean, Steph is a super smart writer anyway, and she has a doctorate in psychology, and she knows a lot of stuff. Uh, but this particular very first chapter of this book is Sadie is at, uh, sort of one of those, um, would you call it like a behavioral disorder camp or something? It was, it's one of those like adventure camps that you have to go to because you've been thrown out of school or something. And she's been thrown out of school for trying to, I think, burn it down. And this is her third school that she's been thrown out of. And, um, it's just, you know, they have to do ropes courses and a bunch of garbage that's sort of worthless, but maybe it's not. I don't know. I've never been to one of these camps. But anyway, uh, it's worthless to Sadie. 
Uh, and I guess what happens is every night the guys, you know, from the, the guy camp, the guy BD kids come trolling over to the girls and usually Sadie and the girls go off with them and they all, you know, hook up and, and usually Sadie passes, but this is sort of her last night there. And she, she just grabs this guy named Chad and, uh, Chad, Chad. (laughs) Um, and the first thing she says is I'm not fucking you. And he's like, well, give me a blowjob. And she goes, no. <laughs> and it's just so great because it's so motivated for Sadie's own pleasure, the whole thing. Like she touches him, but she's she's touching him. Like she's basically giving him a hand job because she's interested in how he responds, um, which is very sociopathic behavior is that sort of seeing the reaction and, uh, you know, calculating feelings and calculating, you know, what that's going on so that she could manipulate that. And, uh, so she's curious about how he responds. Um, but in the end she just gets on top of him and rubs her own self off. Um, and she calms herself and that's it. Like she has, and then she just gets up and that's the end of Chad. Um, and I just, it's (laughs) such a masterful, masterful, first chapter of a book um, for so many different reasons, but sort of how I love it is it sets the tone of Sadie and it sets the tone of what sort of garbage that Sadie is carrying with her. But also too, it, it, it makes us ask questions or at least it made me ask questions about what that would look like for someone who wasn't a sociopath, what does that look like for teen girls who just want to get off? And why don't we have those kind of books where a, a girl is invested in just getting off and, and there's nothing, you know, there's no sort of long-term game plan. And I think, um, I, you know, I was just thinking about some of the other books that we've read that does this fairly well, that does sort of sex without romance fairly well, but we've already talked about them. And, and one of them is, um, Julie Halpern's the fuck it list or no, the F it list. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and which is really good. Uh, I think Julie does a really great job of dealing with girls and sex in her books in general. Um, but she for sure has this uh, way about just sort of making it about a girl's pleasure as opposed to any sort of romantical notions, particularly in the effortless, the beginning of the effortless, um, because she's, she's working out other things through her own pleasure and it's super interesting. But, um, when it comes to delicate monsters, I just really, I loved how much that very first chapter made me think about why we don't see more scenes of that kind of thing with girls who are not sociopaths, but why don't we see that sort of, um, agenda towards their own pleasure and what that would mean if we did see some more like that. Yeah. I think because the power over the dude is the, the big reward if you don't know how to get yourself off, which a lot of young women aren't familiar with how to do that with another person in the the equation. Um, So it's like the power over, but in order to have that power over somebody, you have to have all sorts of credentials that will allow you to behave that way. And your credentials are probably how beautiful you are, how, you know, nice you look naked or, you know, whatever, Um, which is, again, like super boring, you know, like, yeah, (laughs) of course, a really hot, beautiful girl can do whatever she wants because she's already been credentialed and blessed in that respectable way. But Another book that has that kind of pointless sex 
um, but it's not about power, is Jersey Angel by Beth Ann Bauman, which we've talked about before, where where Angel has sex with a guy because she feels sorry for him. Mm-hmm. She's like, and it does. It's not a big. It's not a big ask for her to do that. Yeah, it's a transactional she, sex. She's yeah. just like, well, I feel bad, and you're a virgin, and I here have a good time, and you know. <laughs> It's kind of mercy sex, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is that book's wonderful, but we've already talked about it. Um, the other the I only have one book to bring to the table this time around, and I just finished it like one second ago. It's called Boy Heaven by an author named Laura Kasiski. Um, and it's a it's a summer camp story. It's a, about these girls at a cheerleading camp. And um one of the girls is named Desiree and her, uh, her, she's one of those credentialed girls. She's beautiful and gorgeous and sexy and she has a lot of sex and she only has like one friend who is the narrator, a girl named Christy and Desiree can do whatever she wants because of how gorgeous and and beautiful she is. Everyone's always staring at her. Guys always like her. And so she hooks up with the lifeguard at the camp, this guy named TJ. Mm. Of course, his name is TJ. Anyway, TJ and her do it. And she has all this sort of, it's not really romantic, though. It's like she just knows that she wants this one thing. And so she goes and has it. Um, and she they have sex out in the woods and whatever. And Christy is like overhearing them do it and she's like wow I can tell that Desiree likes that like that's it's better than any of the dumb makeout sessions I've had with my boyfriend Chip Chase which is also a great name yeah when people know how to name people that's also aptly um but anyway in Boy Heaven like the there's that kind of sex where it's sort of like of course we're going to do this because adventure and because I want to and not because I care necessarily you know, what comes afterwards. And also because the, the TJ, the lifeguard is very handsome as well. And it's sort of like, well, of course this is preordained. You two beautiful people will smack it up, you know? Um, but then at the end of the story, there's a kind of threesome with TJ and Christy and Desiree. And it's like, Christy has no romantic notions about it, but she's just like, okay, this is what's going to happen. And she just sort of goes along with it. And it's, I, I like that too, because it's sort of like, sometimes you just try things to try them and not because you've vetted them, you know, sensibly. Yeah. No, I know. So, I know a girl who lost her virginity in a threesome, which I'm like, man, way to hit the varsities. Like you're not <laughs> like bypassing <laughs> any amateur hour going right for it. Right. Um, that is really interesting. Um, is And it's a YA book. Yeah. This one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, she's a poet. This this author is a poet, and she's written lots of different things and lots of adult novels, too. But Boy Heaven, and I think she has a book called Feathered, which is another teen title, but I haven't read that mm. one. No. Um, That's my only contribution. Yeah. Well, you know what? I, it also makes me think about when, when you were talking about sort of the ordained because they're beautiful. Uh, it does rem- bring to mind... Um, Simone Howell's was it Simone Howell Powell everything Simone, beautiful yeah, everything beautiful um and just how what sort of was great about that was there was a decision to sort of be a bad girl and that and she wasn't beautiful like you know she was overweight she had a bunch of issues that she, that sort of and she was surly but she sort of donned her slutty costume and said, I'm, I'm this way. And it drew boys in too. 
um, because of that in the same way that, you know, you're credentialed because you're beautiful. You're also credentialed because you have big boobs or, or big boobs or you're put out, you know, yeah. and, the, and those are something that's really interesting because it, it sort of brings up that idea again of bad girls. And if you have just decided you're going to be a bad girl, then, you know, are you fine with this? Are you willing to just, you know, be whatever, be a whole, because that's what you have decided on. Um, as opposed to sort of the nuance of saying, well, no, I don't actually want to have sex with you. Um, that book is an interesting exploration of that. Um, the other book though, I wanted to talk about is, um, Carrie, you and I both are, uh, in this book, it, it's the V word, which we, I think talked about a long time ago. Um, yeah. and it is, uh, a bunch of authors and other people who are writing about their first time sex and, or I would say uh, whatever they consider their first time sex. My essay in that is not about first time sex cause I'm a rape survivor. So it was about, uh, the first time I had sex with someone I loved. But uh, the essay that was really super intriguing to me in that book was uh, Justina Ireland's essay about her, the, her first time. And I think it was called something like some random guy and a bunch of liquor and like some <laughs> and, and, and some movie she was watching. And I, I want to say it was Army of Darkness. Um, and it's such a funny it essay. It is a funny essay. It's very funny. It's, it's a funny essay. It's sort of, and it also poignant. And it says a lot of the things that I think that a lot of girls are are afraid to say, which is that at a certain point, you just want to get it over with, that being saddled with your V card is a tricky thing. Um, and that it, for her, it became something that she felt like she was everyone's sort of little sister. And she couldn't, she couldn't wait to get rid of this thing because it was causing her all sorts of problems. Um, but she also had some funny rules about, uh, you know, wanting to make sure there was a condom and make sure that they were in a bedroom. And that was sort of it. And she didn't have any uh, speculation about wanting it to be love or romance or anything else because she had said, uh, she said this funny thing at the beginning where she said either she heard from her friends about these horrible first time experiences or she heard from these, her friends about sort of their wonderful, romantic, awesome, amazing first time experiences. And she just thought they were both crap that both ways. It sounded really sucky, um, because she didn't really buy into the romantical thing. And she, she said, she said something like, I know, I knew enough teen dudes to think that that was all crap. Um, which I think that that is really insightful is us, us as teen girls, and I'm talking about heterosexual sex here, uh, us as teen girls buying into the idea that we uh, are going to have this very romantic first time and and de- teen boys sort of trying to live up to that. I mean, it, it makes me laugh. It's like teen boys trying to live up to the, the, to the romance of Valentine's Day. I mean, I don't know about you, Carrie, but <laughs> yeah. I have like the absolute shittiest romance or, you know, romantic gestures ever done to me on Valentine's Day if I was even dating someone. It was always like dumb bears that were like bought by the side of the 
a road or like, you know, dead carnations or some shit. It was always shitty, you know? And I just like part of me at a certain point, I just said, like, we got to take the pressure off people on this holiday because they just will, I will always be disappointed if I think that they're going to bring anything to this party, which is why Julio and I stopped celebrating it altogether. But, um, one of the things I thought was really interesting about Justina's essay was this idea that she didn't really buy into that guys could be romantical around first times, that they could be, you know, that she was like, eh, I didn't, you know, that wasn't her experience. That wasn't anything that she had seen. And so her whole essay is about her getting hammered and, you know, ending up hooking up with this guy. And, and, and the reality is like, it borders really almost on a, on a rape situation because she was too hammered to really consent, except that she sort of did consent, but she was, so it's super complicated. If you start thinking about all the implications of, was she giving, you know, enthusiastic consent? She sort of says, no, she wasn't. And yet at the same time, like, is this guy culpable? If she goes, you know, like tons of lots of interesting threads going through this essay. But at at the end of the day, she doesn't remember the guy's name. So she just, gives him this name Mitch and um like everything about it is hilarious you know because she's like I didn't even know was that what sex was was that what it felt like I didn't even know well it's sort of like ripping off a band-aid like she's sort of grim about it and I wonder if that's you know another facet of first-time sex that we don't talk about is that how people are like fuck this isn't gonna be comfortable but we gotta you know grin and bear it you know, yeah. bite your upper lip <laughs> and bear down. <laughs> yeah. And think it's going to be awesome or whatever. Yeah. It's a really interesting thing. And I think that was sort of what Amber's trying to get to in the V word is that everyone could have all these different experiences and that, um, and it's a it really, what's nice about that book is it's a wide breadth of different, very, very different essays about what that feels like um, and when that happens and all these different things. And so that I really like about that book because it does deal with, you know, people, you know, when it hurt, when it doesn't, when, you know, like all these different areas. And I think that that is right. You know, everyone has a different experience about it. We are sort of convinced in that it's going to be one way and whether it's we think it's going to be super painful and mediocre, or we think it's going to be wonderfully romantic and we're going to get, you know, a bed of roses, like, you know, always like mostly it's neither of those things, you know? Right. Right. I think, you know, it's the only way out is through. And I don't really believe in, oh, we could make first times good for girls. Cause I think that the first time you do anything is always sort of fraught with the unknown and, that's as it should be. I think the the most romantic part about first time sex is you could think that we it's something you just don't ever forget, good or bad, and you 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 mark it in your brain. And it, you're you the only romantic thing I think about men and first time sex is that you're always going to be in their memory. That's that's not something that's going to fade away with time. It's a very big milestone. So if you got to be there for it, that's kind of cool. Um, but it's not romantic in a greeting card way or a roses from the gas station right. kind of way. It's just that, you know, you're a marker in their biography and that's about it. I think 
Uh, I think that that actually pleases me more than any romantic gestures. And when I talk to men about the first time they've done it, I think that's really interesting how they that kind of has a a special place in their brain, even if it sucked, even if it was embarrassing, because it's just imprinted there. Yeah, forever. that is that is very true. I, I do agree. And probably. For a lot of people too, for other people too, or, or how, however you're going to market. Cause for me, obviously it doesn't feel the same way. Um, so I guess I would say like my first time of consenting sex was for sure something that I would mark and I knew exactly what it was and I can remember what I was wearing and all of these different things, which is a funny way of marking things, but yeah, I do. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. So are we needing to wrap up? Oh, you know what I do want to do though, Carrie, because, and I know this what? will embarrass you, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, I wanted to just really quick, quickly talk about two great books that deal with the male side of this, which is sort of men, men or boys, teen boys having sex without uh, romance or romantic notions. Cause we, uh, I think mostly dealt with girls here. Um, but it's worth, it's, it's worth making a nod to both, uh, Bennett Madison's September Girls, which we talked about last time, and um, Carrie's Sex and Violence. Um, both of those, because I think that they're super interesting and uh, underrepresented explorations of guys who are looking for sort of consequence-free sex and what that looks like uh, without necessarily having romance in that. So I'm making a nod to you, Carrie, even though we don't really do that here. <laughs> Fine. Yeah. Noted. Yeah. Noted. Should we wrap up? Yeah. Probably. Yeah. 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 It's about that time. We hope that you enjoyed today's show. Thank you listeners for your feedback and your book recommendations. Please feel free. Any of you to, uh, send us ideas for what would be good books for us to read that are, uh, sex without romance. I mean, other than Alexander Hamilton, <laughs> um, <laughs> So yeah, we're, we're, we'd love to hear from you, uh, feedback at the oral history podcast.com. Yep. You can email us to feedback at oral history.com or leave a comment on the show notes as well. And I guess until next time, remember sex and books are two things that are better when you talk about them. Bye. Bye.